All right, Jeff. Well, today we had uh, Mike Rutherford. Uh, what'd you think, man? I thought it was good stuff. So, Mike, um, a couple couple of words come to mind. So, one, he has, you know, he has wisdom, right? So, you can you can just tell in his responses that he has, uh, you know, I say been around the block, but the fact is, um, he just provides this kind of input and advice that is so easy to accept. Because you know he's been there, you know he's helping so many other people. So wisdom, and then he's balanced, don't you think? I don't think that he comes across as a thoughtful person as opposed oh, yeah. to just saying, this is the way it is. No, oh, very even-handed, yes. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, I, I love interviewing and talking to people like that. I know it's hard for you because I have a hard time stopping, um, right? That must drive you nuts. I, no. I could just keep going. <laughs> We need to just start doing more two-parters. <laughs> yeah, and we, we do. Keep the content rolling in, but let uh, let these superintendents get back to it. So For for sure. And I, I want to say, obviously, Mike was great, and, and thanks, Chris, very for gracious. all your support. He's very gracious. He's a very good guy. I, I like this... I liked this um, his uh, closing remark where he was saying, you know, don't, don't lose track of your uh, your high performance or like that. Even they can use a little yeah. extra yeah, instruction, there's, learning. So. There's no doubt about it, right? There's there's no one that has this game licked, right? No yeah. one knows exactly how to do it. It's, right. you know, the sometimes the more, the longer you're in it, the, the, the more you realize that you, there's so much you don't know. Yeah. It's always something to learn. By all means. So Mike Rutherford, he was awesome. Thanks, Chris. We appreciate everything you do. Ladies and gentlemen, educators, leaders, welcome to Leader Chat. I am Jeff Rose, and like I have mentioned over and over and over, our goal is to search for and find leaders, um, thought producers, some really kind of uh, high-level people doing incredible things in education and try to bring you some very digestible and pragmatic information from them because the dilemma is there's so much content and we know educational leaders have so little time and even if you were to crack a book in the evening you're likely going to fall asleep so let me go on the record as i have said a number of times i think we believe i believe that when it comes to making the biggest impact on a student from the school perspective that is the teacher it just is however Saying that, you can provide, you can put all of the best teachers you want in a school. They will not be, meet their capacity. They will not be at their best unless they are working with great leadership. So our job in the leadership circle, whether that be superintendency, their executive team and principals, is to think of them as it relates to their role supporting teachers of course, students and communities, because we think that that is where the, the, there is the biggest impact is supporting our leaders. So, which is a perfect intro for this guest. This guest really kind of came to me from a recommendation, and which is often how we work. And the concept there was, um, there is this person, you need to meet him. Mike Rutherford is his name, because he supports educators, teachers, 
and leaders and has a finger on the pulse relative to that environment. So I did my sleuthing and my research and we reached out and um, sure enough, I'm, I'm so thankful that Mike Rutherford is gonna be with us here any second. So Mike Rutherford provides training and development experiences for educators through his work as a teacher, speaker, author, and consultant. Mike's work focuses on high-performance teaching and learning leadership development, creating and leading team-based organizations and results-based organizational improvement. It sounds like the perfect fit for the Leadership Circle because it is. He has created and developed numerous award-winning educational programs for students, teachers, and educational leaders, including the Artisan Teacher, Developing the Artisan Teacher, really everything artist and teacher, as you'll hear more about, observation and coaching laboratory, leader next, and um, requisites of a leader. And then formally, he's been a high school chemistry teacher, a coach, a middle school principal. So bottom line, Mike has been around the block, as they say, as an educator, as well as an educational leader. So without further ado, let me invite Mike to the screen. Mike, it's great seeing you. Thanks for being with us. And uh, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. It's uh, exciting to be a part of Leader Chat. And uh, thanks for the introduction. It was just like my mother wrote it. So thank you. Yeah, that's good. Well, I, I called your mom and, um, and she was really helpful. So I'm, I'm appreciative of her. You can let her know yeah. that. So, well, look, I, I read your, your bio. Um, I say this to most of our guests that um, I actually cut it way down because I, I, had, I had pulled a lot of information uh, about you. How about this? Help us fill in the blanks. The reading the bio doesn't help our listeners know you or understand you or your motivation or your why. So just tell us what got you into this work and tell us more about you and so we can we can get to know you a little bit. Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, Rutherford Learning Group is our uh, consulting company. It's a research and professional learning consultancy based in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I'm coming to you from right now. Um, we're really fascinated and interested in two things primarily. Number one is what does really excellent, skillful, crafty teaching look like? Uh, how can we recognize it? How can we develop it? We know it's so key to student success. And then Jeff, secondly, just what does school leadership look like that over time attracts and retains really skillful crafty teachers to their faculties. We do some other things too. We, uh, we do research and writing and publishing uh, around several topics around leadership and teaching. But those are the two things that have always fascinated me. Uh, I have to say that when I was a high school chemistry teacher and when I was a principal, uh, I, wish I, I wish I knew more about the craft of teaching. I kind of, uh, I think like a lot of teachers did, I try to build good relationships and uh, get kids to be uh, motivated about what they were doing. Uh, but now that I've had a chance to be in thousands of classrooms and observe K through 12 teachers of all subject areas, uh, we've got some talent out there. It's exciting. And uh, that's, the, that's probably the number one thing that we're, we're focused on. Our consulting uh, helps teachers improve their skills and helps leaders to create the conditions that makes those people feel at home so they'll continue to work there. Well, let me let me, let me dig on that a little bit more because, um, you know, I, I, I use and, and, and I, I steal a lot of sayings from other people and um, Heifetz a long time ago taught me a term of the difference between being on the dance floor and the balcony, right? And so what we see is a lot of 
let's say, teachers and educational leaders on the dance floor, right? It's, it's very frantic. It's fast. It's a, a sweaty place to be. <laughs> and um, so what I heard you say, whether you meant to say it or not, is that um, at one point in time, you, you left the dance floor and you went to the balcony, right? Which gives you this perspective of education that sometimes leaders and educators don't get to see, right? Because they're on the dance floor. So now that you're looking on, um, tell us, I, I have to assume that what you see must serve as this driver for you on helping educators and leaders based upon your perch on right. the balcony versus the dance floor. Does, does that yeah, make that's sense? A good analogy. Yeah, thanks. So, uh, you know, I never really thought about it just like that. That's a, that's a good. Well, uh, you're welcome. I think, yeah, for <laughs> sure. And I think the idea is that when you're on the dance floor, whether you're a teacher or an administrator, um, that is an all encompassing dance. I mean, who has the mental bandwidth as a teacher to teach a class full of fifth graders, you know, some challenging language arts concept, and at the same time float up above ourselves and have an out-of-body experience, go up on the balcony and look down upon ourselves and say, hey, that's pretty good. Let's do more of that. I need to, some work in that area. Um, so kind of going to the balcony has enabled me to, first of all, appreciate the talent and the skill that really goes into leadership and teaching. And I guess I'd like to say that, uh, you know, over the past several years, I've tried to build my own skills, not at teaching, but at observing teaching and identifying what is it about excellent teaching that we might be able to name and break down and explain so that so that other teachers that are you know inside this Mach 5 hair on fire world and leaders as well can benefit from that so what what going back what was maybe your some of your first motivations you were an educator right you were an educational leader and so what was some of your first motivations on, you know, I'm going to I'm going to go and do this work, so obviously stay embedded in education, but I'm going to go about it differently. What, what oh, were yeah. you thinking at the time? Because clearly you just described your, your current role really well. But what were you thinking then? <laughs> what were you thinking? Yeah. That's good. Yeah. As I think back about that, that's a good question. What was I thinking? Uh, you know, I caught a really good break uh, when I was a, a middle school principal. Um, my superintendent, his name was Dr. Larry Roetter. Uh, this was in uh, eastern North Carolina. And he was recruited to lead a, um, a, a new idea in Cincinnati, Ohio. Procter & Gamble, uh, the Mayerson family, several others came together and funded a professional learning institute called the Mayerson Academy. Um, that was to serve the Cincinnati public schools and the whole greater Cincinnati uh, area. Um, he tapped me to be an executive director of that. And that was, uh, honestly, Jeff, that was an amazing break. That allowed me to shift from being a, a school administrator to studying school administrators and teachers and developing content and writing and designing professional learning. Um, I stayed there for five years and then uh, launched Rutherford Learning Group on the heels of that. So that was uh, that was a big break for me. And I'll always be indebted to uh, Larry and to the greater Cincinnati area for allowing me to sort of shift into the balcony, as you said. Well, isn't it interesting that um, these, these things sometimes happen to us in our careers? 
um, you know, even as educators that we would never, we would never expect or plan on. Right. right? Yeah. I, I'm sure if, you know, I, it was a job opportunity and a career opportunity, Jeff, for me that I clearly wasn't prepared for and, and probably didn't deserve, but boy, am I glad that I got it. Uh, it was, it was life-changing. Well, it's often like that, right? I mean, I, the first time I was a fourth and fifth grade teacher, I remember the principal saying, listen, I, I think you should think about leadership and, you know, administration and air yeah. quotes I give you. And I thought, well, maybe in 20 years or something, but not yeah. now. And he said, no, 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 now. And so I, I hadn't thought of that. And all of a sudden my head goes into, well, I guess I would all be of, able to expand yeah. my sphere of influence. So, okay, interesting. And it just, sometimes careers go like that, right? You can't plan them out. You Sometimes you just have to almost um, move forward with as much kind of grace and faith as you can, right? Uh, and then, you know, leave it up grace to- Grace and faith, and, and I think also, uh, I certainly don't claim to be great at this, but also humility. You know, there is so much talent out there in classrooms. There's so many different ways teachers can be productive and effective and amazing. Um, that don't fit into uh, a walkthrough instrument, quite honestly. And so just I think one of the things that that job shift gave me is just a, another, uh, a, the ability to uh, watch great teaching, watch great leadership, and appreciate it. Um, you know, to appreciate it, you know, try to grow my knowledge base, try to understand what's the difference between good and better and best being constantly amazed by what excellent teachers do, sometimes consciously, and you know, Jeff, a lot of times subconsciously, sometimes just out of an instinct. You know, that's probably one of the most fascinating things I've found in my career is just sort of trying to break down some of the, some great teachers' basic instincts as to, you know, how fast should I speak? Where should I stand? What types of misbehavior should I ignore? What types should I, should I engage with right away? I mean, you know, teaching happens at the speed of a classroom, and it's just amazing sometimes to watch how, uh, what, how effective some people are at that amazing juggling act. You know, I hadn't planned to ask you about this, but since you opened the door, Mike, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. Um, so I'm I'm curious your perspective. I I know that we often identify what are considered as you know best practices, research best practices. Uh, what we know so much about pedagogy, right? That we're just extremely bloated in terms of our own knowledge. Well, then. I remember as a principal, a long, long time ago, my first year as a principal, I was giving these, given these things I was supposed to look for um, as I was to go out and observe teachers. There was a teacher named Mr. Evans. Mr. Evans, is he's still with us, but he, uh, you know, I was, I was much younger than him. And so I remember <laughs> watching him and I, I couldn't check any boxes. I mean, he wasn't, his teaching style was not conducive to the things I was supposed to look for. It really wasn't. I mean, he wasn't doing any of the things that we had determined as a district uh, and as a school were, you know, best practices. He was the greatest teacher. He had kids really? mesmerized, yeah. mesmerized. It was, 
he, breaking every single rule on your walkthrough instrument. While yeah, we do. and so and so in that, I'm curious. Um, we know best practices, but how do you balance? Talk to us about how you balance what what we know to be great, but also what you describe as almost like this art that teachers have, right? And they just sometimes have it. How do you how do you balance that as it relates to what good teaching is? Yeah, gosh, that's a that's a good question and a deep one and uh, see if I can do it justice. Um, this may not be the, a politically correct answer, okay. <laughs> but it's, it's how I think about it. Sure. It really depends. I think Jeff on what type of a school as a leader I want to create over time. Um, if I want to create a school where the teaching staff is fairly young and inexperienced, not very effective yet, but yet they, they long for a recipe. Um, tell me exactly how to do this. This is how some of our uh, quite productive uh, literacy programs are designed. They're designed for fidelity. They're designed for teachers to do exactly this at exactly this time um, for exactly this many minutes, followed up by exactly these questions. And so I think over time, if what we want to do is create a school of cooks rather than a school of chefs, I think then we, we emphasize fidelity and we emphasize sticking to the plan and we emphasize um, that kind of homogeneity of practice. And for people who aren't very skilled yet or who aren't very advanced in their career, uh, that's actually a, a good system, right? Because it's hard to be an amazing, you know, the teacher you described, uh, what was his name again? Mr. Evans? Didn't Mr. Evans, yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Mr. Evans, he didn't develop some of those skills when he was a second or third year teacher. No. Uh, those things came over, over time for him. Now, if I want to create a school that over time attracts and retains, uh, what, talent, teachers who really can design and teach their way into levels of effectiveness that you know other people really can't do and by the way these people these extra talented teachers they're sometimes rule breakers aren't they i mean let's yeah. be honest they're not they don't fit a mold uh, and sometimes the fact that they're so amazing in the classroom means that they're a little cantankerous <laughs> they're a, a little bit, uh, you know, they can be a diva a little bit at times. Yeah. They have, you know, <laughs> you, I, I kind of imagine a, a great coach who's got all these amazing players. And it's almost like you have to be a psychologist, right, to get them to all go on the field or the court and play together. Um, but if you want over time to create a school that attracts and retains real talent, I think we have to... Uh, give people the opportunity to chef a little yeah. and everyone you know even even 25 30 year experienced surgeons you know amazingly skilled in their field even they they follow the directions i mean they follow the script i mean they've they better there. It's, yeah this is not the time to be innovative you know always uh, so there's nothing wrong with following a script. And if something is a, is a great lesson plan, there's nothing wrong with doing that plan with fidelity. But it's those other times when a teacher says, you know what, what my students need right now isn't something that 
someone in a publishing company wrote down five years ago that ought to happen in the first week of October. What I know my kids need right now is this, and I'm willing to leave the recipe and provide it for them. Um, you know, I don't know if that makes sense, but over time as a school superintendent, as a principal, I think we have to decide what types of people do we want to attract and retain in our, in our organizations. And if we want to have, if we only seek fidelity, if that's, if that's our number one goal, then I think we do that at the expense of attracting talent. And uh, so it's a, it's a mix, isn't it? It's, it's it a is. hard but it's a good it's a good question. I, I don't know that I shed any light on it, but that's kind of how I think about it. Well, you you did shed a lot of light on it. You know, it's 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 a it's it's tricky as from a leadership perspective because I mean, I I have people if if they if they used to work with me would be shocked that I would be even asking this because I was so in in tune to creating um, system and and culture and alignment. Right. And that was very important from a leadership perspective so that, you know, we were working on the same team as opposed to just telling people to close their doors and be great at what they do. Right. And Mm -hmm. so it it is a it's just this interesting balancing act. And it is interesting. And if you give me one more second on that, please. Oh, go. I don't want to, you know, hint for a minute that uh, really excellent teachers, talented practitioners that really have an abundance of craft skill. Um, they also want to work in a school that's, that has a purpose, that's well run, that, uh, that is well supervised. And, you know, I think a well supervised school is one where the leadership says, here, here is a small handful of things that are not options we all are going to agree that we're going to work for classrooms that look like this and this and this and this. It can't be 50 things. I think it has to be a small handful of things. But that's, that's excellent supervision. So there's nothing wrong with a walkthrough instrument. There's nothing wrong with a school administrator going from classroom to classroom and checking in on those handful of things that we've said are non-options. In fact, I think that's best practice. Indeed. I think really skillful, talented teachers, they want to work in a place that knows what it wants to be and, and has some direction so that you you kind of know where you stand on those things. I think it also allows teachers to look at those three to five non-options and say, is this place a good fit for me? Could I grow here? You know, if I put down roots here and taught for 10 or 15 or 20 years is this the kind of place that would fit my style and and nurture me schools that don't know what they're about and who don't have that that what that supervision focus i think attracts uh people who maybe have a different vision of what what we're all there to do so well no being clear is is an attractor to great teachers i don't think it's it's not a repellent at all well, I mean, this is a this is a valuable disclaimer to make because, as we know, right, that yeah. this it's it's always this whether you call it a balance of loose and tight. I, I like the mm-hmm. the term um, a balance of autonomy and fidelity, right? Because mm-hmm. one, you there there is some freedom that our educators need, right, to be innovative and invent. But in the meantime, you do need some fidelity, some of your non negotiables in your systems and your structures, right, to put you on the same team. So. It, it's what makes leadership so, so tricky. Otherwise, everyone yep. would do it, right? So <laughs> That's true. Yeah, good point. Well, this is another theme that I'd love to ask, especially people, especially, you know, people like you that have 
that, that have, get to work with so many districts and schools and in so many different environments is this concept of, of change, right? You have you know, put your stake in the ground relative, you think about the artist and teacher, for example, and so you say that this is, this is what we know. And in the meantime, we're going through this um, incredible amount of uh, turbulence right in in our in our culture in our communities in our schools and that that has this trickle down effect to the classroom and so i'm curious about what you're seeing over the even just the last you know 4 or 5 years that once was but now is how would you describe some of the things that you get to see and help and coach with yeah gosh thanks uh, i guess one thing jeff i would i would say just kind of looking at changes recently is, uh, of course, the pandemic um, accelerated some of this. I don't think it caused it, but we are a bit in a national crisis with respect to recruiting and retaining teachers and having having simply enough professionally certified staff to open the school year. There are uh, many, many school districts right now that are barely staffing their schools. Um, so I think we're suffering a little bit from the last 10 or 15 years of not paying attention to creating the kinds of school culture and climate that attract and retain great employees. Uh, I think that hasn't been a high enough priority. And I think we're, we're paying the price for that. It's hard to push all those buttons, you know, school principals and superintendents usually aren't in charge of teacher salaries or benefits or things we can do to attract people in that regard. We are, though, in charge of the feel of the place. We're in charge of, as you've said, we're in charge of that organization's culture and that organization's purpose. And, um, you know, so I think the change that I see happening is we've, we've got this uh, situation that probably is there. It's been magnified by the fact that we haven't created the conditions to attract and keep the people that we want. So now I think we have to do better and we have to start now and start designing uh, what the feel of the place, the culture uh, to attract and retain our best, our best people. Uh, so I think that's one of the changes that I see. The, but one thing I, I guess I would add also, Jeff, thanks for asking, is here's something that I don't think has changed. And that is that the the holy grail is still skillful teaching. You know, whether we apply AI to it, whether we do it in uh, different settings of students, uh, whether we are at different levels of, of how we are implementing grade level instruction with just-in-time scaffolding, you know, no matter what our current focus and, and, and pedagogy is, um, we still get much better results from professional, skillful teachers. So I don't think that yet is going out of style. I don't see that as being a change. I think we, uh, how teachers use technology, how they adapt to different laws, how we adapt to different class sizes, for changes in the curriculum, changes in expectations. Those are all changes that are happening right now. I can't think of very many of them, though, that aren't uh, what aren't uh, optimized by just that skillful teaching foundation, the craft of designing and facilitating excellent instruction. 
uh, I still think that's the core. I don't see that changing. Have you seen, because I think that um, the artist and teacher, it's, it's organized in themes, correct? Did I get that right? So right, have you yeah. seen um, an impact on some of uh, some of these some of these themes over time have you had to kind of do some you know adaptation and adjustment to help at least describe them in new ways only because you know a lot of the yeah. it's, we've been shaken it, right our, our foundation really, yeah, feels yeah, right. you know shifting and you know one of the things i think that shifts a lot is our language you know we call things by different names so yeah the 23 artists and teacher themes are just names of ways that teachers can be particularly skilled. Uh, you know, enriched environments is a theme, which is what a teacher does to create an enriched physical and social environment that sort of is the second teacher in a classroom. Um, the idea of overt responses is a theme. Overt responses is the ability of the teacher to, to check for understanding, to teach a little bit and then, and then uh, assess and see who's with me and who's not so that I can decide, should I speed up or slow down or regroup or come at this from another, another angle? Um, conscious attention is a theme, which is simply the teacher's ability to somehow uh, wiggle a little bit of the attention span of a, of a fifth grader, which is something you taught before <laughs> in, your, in your career, yep. and, uh, and focus it on the task at hand and, and how to, I don't think there's actually any such thing as keeping a student's attention, but how to gain it and then how to go back and get it again and how to go back and get it again and focus it on the task at hand. Those are... Um, and, and if I could just add one other thing, Jeff, the 23 artisan teacher themes um, are not 23 things that we say teachers should do. I mean, that's a that's a heavy load. Yeah, here's 23 things to do. Yeah, uh, it's <laughs> these are 23 things that we hope teachers will recognize that are already in their instruction. They're already doing most, if not all of these 23 things. And so what we want teachers to do is to be more aware and more conscious and more intentional about their strengths, their abilities, these themes of instructional design and facilitation that are already a blessing to the students that these teachers are working with. And instead of it letting it be accidental or intuitive or just out of an abundance of, you know, good teaching, uh, you know, thought. Uh, we want teachers to be able to name it and live up to it, and uh, and be aware of it, and be more intentional in how they in how they use it. How as uh, f for you, um, you know, the, the the Rutherford Group and the work that you're doing. How has um, your delivery of support, teachers, administrators, etc., has that? I have to assume that's that's changed, right? It ha would have to, right, in this day it, and age. So. Uh, and how would you describe – yeah, to tell us about yeah. that, like how you've had the change to support as, of course, you know, we know, well, a lot of educators are really overwhelmed yeah. with the speed of change. How yeah. have you kept up with that in order to support them in a way that doesn't feel overwhelming, that only feels supportive? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, first of all, I, I don't claim to have a ha to have that figured out. Uh, well, let, let, let me know because we we could we yeah, could do really uh, well uh, together. <laughs> this is helpful though. Uh, you know, as I think about our clients and where they are and what we can do to support them, I try to keep in mind uh, just a little acronym KSA, and that stands for Knowledge, Skills, and Attitudes. So as we work with teachers, as we work with administrators. Uh, as we design our interactions with clients, we keep in mind how much of this is knowledge, 
you know, so is, is there some content, is there some knowledge that these professional educators would benefit from having at their fingertips? If that, if the answer to that is yes, then you can really transmit knowledge in a number of ways. You can read something, you can watch a video, you can, you can talk about it, you can do a PowerPoint presentation. There, there's a lot of ways to transmit knowledge. The S stands for skills. And this is where we want to break it down and say, okay, then what are we actually asking this educational professional to do differently? Now, skills are not mastered the same way knowledge is attained. Skills usually require practice in, in an authentic setting with good quality feedback and coaching from someone who's kind of been on that road before. That, that optimizes skill development. A lot of the work we do um, is around a, uh, a professional learning series called Feedback and Coaching Lab, where we take school administrators, 10 or 12 at a time, and go into real classrooms and practice where to stand, what to look for, what to see, how to be extra valuable in spotting these teachers' abilities and talents and skills. And then we invite the teacher to come and join us and we practice speaking that back to the teacher. What would you say? How could you say it? We practice it and then get feedback from the, from the teacher. So that's skill development, and we have to be careful that we don't confuse those two. Then the last part uh, is attitudes, uh, which is a synonym for values, for beliefs. And you know, Jeff, the, what I've, I guess, discovered over time is that people don't shift their attitudes and their values typically without having some kind of an experience that, sh that helps them to shift it. So, uh, so Taking a school administrator who sees their work as mainly supervisory, let me go into classrooms, let me do a walkthrough, let me check some boxes on a rubric, let me hold teachers accountable for what they're doing and what they're not doing. If we can take that school administrator into a really talented teacher's classroom and show him or her how they could even be more effective at developing this person by capitalizing on the teacher's strengths and talents. Sometimes that experience is a real attitude adjuster. I don't know about you, but I found that most professionals don't just change their values and their belief system to copy another person. They have to have, you know, the, the way we developed our values is through our experiences. So we have to have new experiences if we want to support new new values. So it gets a little complex, but that's how we do it. What's the knowledge? What are the skills? What are the beliefs and values and attitudes? Um, and we try to design interactions that have a pretty good shot at growing those three, those three areas. So we try to keep KSAs in mind, you know, as we design work for, for educators. So then I'm, um, I'm, I'm taking notes as you're, as you're talking. So, um, yeah, as, as you talk about, you know, the KSAs, my curiosity for the leader. So I'm now yeah. let's, let's pretend we're talking uh, to the, the leader, because as you already mentioned, um, mm -hmm. there is what's known as kind of this mass exodus happening in education right now. Right. So as which is true, not just from teachers, but leaders are leaving faster than we've ever seen. Um, and so we we actually have the highest educated but the the least experienced leader force we've also ever seen and that's only going to increase over time so as we're talking with the leaders knowing that there is some uh a lot of teachers feeling overwhelmed 
and more challenge than they've ever had felt before since we've ever polled educators. Um, how are you helping, how are you advising specific to almost even KSAs for leaders to be able to support teachers based upon that emotional tug that we know they're feeling? Yeah, uh, good insight. Um, it's kind of the impossible dream, isn't it? What yes, we it is. It what is. we expect school leaders to do. You know, we, we say to them, uh, so first of all, be, be a management expert. You know, your school's got to be on budget. The buses have to run. Lunch has to be hot every day. Uh, subs have to be hired. The building has to be clean. Uh, you know, you, so there's this amazing management uh, task that has to be accomplished. And if that's not accomplished, then our instructional leadership ideas will never get a chance to be be heard, right? Yeah. So you have to do that. And then on top of that, we expect school administrators to then also have time to be in classrooms and identify teacher strengths and give quality feedback and coaching. You know, uh, Jeff, you're a former superintendent. I've never had that job, but I, I always wanted to say when I was a principal to my superintendents, you know, make up your mind. <laughs> give, me, give me one or the other. Tell me, say, Rutherford, go be a great management expert. I think I could do that. Or, hey, Rutherford, go be an instructional leader using the effective schools language for that. I think I could do that. But the hard thing is, I feel like we're asking people to do both in the same lifetime. And there's not enough calories. There's not enough minutes. There's not enough mental bandwidth, you know, to do that. So I think that's why Sometimes I think about it as the impossible dream. You know, Jeff, uh, just thinking back about a few high flyers, a few administrators that, that I've always remembered what they said when they confronted this dilemma. Um, I think one of them is, is this way of thinking. And, and I've heard this from several school administrators that I really think are doing great work. They say, Mike, at the end of the day, I try to remember that there are two lists one is a list of things I got to, and the second list is things I didn't get to. So I've got a list of the things I did, and I have a list of the things I didn't get to. And, and I look at these two, what, these two lists, and here's what, here's what they said to me, and I think it's a really good insight. They said, a good day is when the things I did had a higher effect size on the success of students than the things I didn't get to. Notice they didn't say a good day is when I got to it all. They know that's impossible. You'll yeah, never right. be able to get to it. And so really the core skill of a school administrator is deciding ahead of time, what am I going to leave undone? Because I've got to leave things undone. And, and so many of us, I think uh, school administrators are uh, under this pressure to do what's next. And that's another thing I've heard really successful principals particularly say, Jeff, is I try not to do what's next. I try not to do what's right in front of me. There's always something right in front of me that, that needs my attention. I try to do what's important. And often that's more instructional than it is, than it is managerial. Um, the problem with that systemically is if the superintendent and if the rest of the system doesn't support that kind of decision making, then, you know, over time, we're putting pressure on school administrators to simply do what, what, just manage the place, make sure people are reasonably happy, put out all the brush fires. Um, and uh, there are a lot of folks that kind of like that life, you don't really even have to have a plan, you just have to show up. 
you know, as you get out of your car, you know, in the morning, the schools already have things that seep out of the parking lot and grab onto you. Your work already starts. But I thought that was a good insight. You know, a good day is when the things I did had a higher effect on teaching and learning and student success than the things I had to leave undone. Um, that's hard, but that's, that's good practice, I think. There's, there's so many things that you just brought up in a very short period of time that are, uh, so look, there's right how administrators spend their time, and you're right. I mean, you think back to what, what I remember learning about uh, Covey's boxes, right, that uh, I wanted uh, as a leader to be in that. Too. Exactly. I wanted to be in that, right, uh, important but non-urgent box. And that's mm -hmm. so difficult to do. But in the meantime, I feel so bad watching leaders run around being run by what it can be described as the tyranny of the urgent, right, of yeah, what's in front good, of them. and great, right. And so you see that, and then in the meantime, you mentioned those two those two things, right? You want them to be a manager, an instructional leader, and there's actually a third that we're saying, no, we also need you to be, what I had a professor say to me, a public intellectual. You have to understand how to navigate the political waters beyond the walls of your school and pay attention to all the trends and think about how that may impact your community, your families, your kids, and how you get ahead of that. It's unbelievable what we're asking. So a tool like you just described, a list of this and this, that's really yeah. important and actually very valuable. Right, yeah. It is It is uh, just like, uh, you know, the fascination that I think you and I both have for excellent teaching, uh, that same fascination uh, with school leaders. You know, there are, you know, you identified, you know, the Wallace Foundation study, you know, a year and a half ago that said exactly what you said. Today's school leaders are younger and less experienced than they've ever been in several generations. Um, and that means that, you know, I don't know, about you, but when I was a young and inexperienced school administrator, um, I think my biggest problem is I didn't know what I could leave undone. I didn't know. And so my, my defense mechanism, you know, an, a more experienced principal would say, yeah, you don't really have to get that in on time or you don't really have to go to that meeting. Well, I didn't know any of that. So your defense mechanism when you're young and inexperienced is to say, I'm going to do it all just on the off chance that I don't want to leave something undone and then later find out that it, that it was something that I was supposed to do. That's important. And that's a real tyranny, you know, isn't it? To, to feel like you, you have to cover all of those, all of those bases. Indeed. You know, being a super, being a former superintendent, I know you, uh, you would chuckle, you know, about that, but you know, principals know what meetings they don't have to go to. They know what paperwork they don't have to get in on time. They know what, board policies will never get checked on but not when they're brand new. not when they're brand then they got to do all that stuff right yeah there is this really there's this wisdom that's it's almost like this muscle memory that some can rely on because you know they've been through the ringer and um with fewer people who have been through the ringer sometimes passing down of that wisdom is is tricky but very very important yeah. Um, especially when you have superintendents like myself screwing it up. So, um, so how, here's here's a kind of a final, uh, famous last question that we have for you because our, as as you know, Mike, that we um, in leadership circles not about just pouring content. It's right. around creating you know circles instead of rows. 
right? And so, like if you that. and I were to pretend, I stole that from my pastor. Circles are better than rows. And so, if we were around a table, you, I read that, and you get and you cited it. So good for you. <laughs> okay, good, good. Yeah, I always, I always cite it. It's not mine. Uh, so if if we were around a table and we had you know principals and deputy superintendents and superintendents, you know, educational leaders, whether that be public, charter, private, doesn't matter. And you wanted to leave them with kind of your final words of wisdom based upon all the things you get to see that they actually don't because they're on the dance floor, you're on the balcony. Um, What would you want to leave them with? What are your final kind of words of encouragement? Yeah. Uh, If it's okay, I I have two that complement one another. And and the first would be that um, this uh, this notion that when we start the school year, so we're coming up on the beginning of a, a school year. I know this may air at different times, but we're in real time starting you know, a school year. I think sometimes as a school leader, I have the belief that if I can just get past the first month or two, things will settle down and I'll, I'll then be the instructional leader that I was called to be. And the truth is, I think that things never settle down. And so I think a good bit of advice to any school administrator that wants to be more able, that wants to build these climates and cultures in schools that attract great teachers, you've got to do it inside the life that you have. You can't wait till you figure it out. You can't wait till things settle down in mid-October, because as you know, things don't settle down in mid-October. Mid-October has all of its own crises that will occur at that time. So you have to figure out a way to support teachers and attract and retain great teachers inside the, what, the the tyranny of urgency that you described uh, so well. And then one thing that complements that, and this may be a little bit surprising, but I guess if I were to give just a, a, a very practical tip for instructional leadership is as we begin this next school year, don't ignore your peak performers. Be sure, make it a point to support and develop the top five or 10% of the performers you already have. I think sometimes we mistakenly think that I only have so much time as a leader. You know, this teacher's doing great. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna bless him or her by leaving them alone. And if you want that teacher, to stick with the profession and to stay at your school and keep delivering those kinds of results, you can't ignore them. Make it a point, get in the classrooms of your top five or six or seven people and support them. Um, They actually have, we think, even more room for improvement and development than anyone else because they're already so well developed. They already have such able schema in their brain for what they're doing. Don't ignore your peak performers. Oh, and this inside the life you have, I mean, that's really, I put that in quotes, right? So I, I appreciate that. And Mike, what is so beneficial for, for me and our listeners in this is that um, the ability to kind of tap the, the wisdom of people like yourself who are, are doing such great work in schools. And so I want to thank you for coming you. and talking with us in such a way where it's just very open and honest and it it helps those in the field think through some things that are just 
often overwhelming. So yeah. you've no, just really helped peel the onion really well. So I, I appreciate yeah. it. Well, thank you. And thanks for the good work that you're doing and that Cogni is doing. These circles are impactful. It's an honor to, to be a part of one. Okay. Well, thank you, Mike. And um, our paths will cross again. And just know we really appreciate you and all that you're doing. Likewise. Okay. All right. Be well. Educators, leaders, uh, ladies and gentlemen. So Mike is the perfect example of somebody who um, has been on the, the dance floor, is currently on the balcony, but constantly going back and forth to hold the hands of teachers and leaders. His his wisdom is just something we should pay attention to, which is really the goal of the leader chat is to bring that to you in a way that um, hopefully is is very digestible. So um, I'm very thankful for the opportunity to talk with him. Um, it is true, my, my path will cross again with him and I can't wait for that to happen. In the meantime, as you are amidst your uh, fall this year, regardless of how early you are in, in your fall, because we start school at different times throughout the country. I want to say thank you for all the work that you're doing on behalf of students and communities and schools and, of course, teachers, educators, leaders, be well.